Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. The hop nerd podcast is brought to you by hop university. Head on over to hopuniversity.org for all things human and organizational performance. We have on-demand hop training, on-demand communication training, leadership training, all of that kind of stuff. Our specialty, our specialty is one-on-one coaching for safety professionals. Head on over hopuniversity.org. Check us out. We're happy to help. We're also brought to you by Safety Sucks. Safety Sucks. SafetySucks.net. Head on over, pick up your copy today of my first book, Safety Sucks, the bullshit in the safety profession they don't tell you about. Available on Amazon and SafetySucks.net. Hello. Howdy. Hi, everybody. Sam Goodman, the hot nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let me start right there. Thank you for continuing to follow along. Thank you for all that you have been doing to support us over at hopuniversity.org. All the folks that have picked up the book Safety Sucks, either on Amazon or over on our website, safetysucks.net. It's been amazing. Thank you for continuing to do that. Thank you for continuing to tune in. I greatly appreciate it, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. We have an awesome guest on today. You already know who it is because... You probably listened to part one and you got to hear how super duper amazing and awesome part one was. So this is part two. We're back. Part two, James McPherson from Rebranding Safety or AKA the Hop Nerd UK, or you can call me Rebranding Safety US. I don't know. Uh, I think we became best friends during these podcasts. I did one over on uh, over on Rebranding Safety. So if you haven't checked that out, make sure you go tune in and listen. Uh, that one was just as fun as this one was. So there you go. Here we go. Part two, me, you, and James hanging out, talking about everything. I agree with you. And I just think it's like, I, when we kind of bring back to the original point of like that, having those debates with people is when you put those statistics on, like my argument just loses or they feel like they've won. I don't feel like I've lost, but they feel like they've won the argument because they're like statistic, this statistic, that. And I'm, I'm just sitting there like, mate, I don't care about your statistics. Like I don't care if incidents are dropping, but, but actually fatalities are plateaued and we're, we're, I, I really don't care. We're still killing. We're still right. killing 140 people in a small island every single year. Right. And right. like you said about 
to kind of reiterate your point, I've, I've had that debate of some, so somebody's like, well, we just need to, we need to report incidents more and we need to do more risk assessments. And we, so, so, hang, hang on a bit. Sorry. So once you're, you, let's, let's say we've got a piece of wood, right? And you've got a hammer and a nail. You put that, you hammer in the nail into the wood, right? The nails all the way into the wood. Do you, do you keep hammering? Right. No, because you break the wood, right? right exactly. So like the nails in there, mate, right? We've done it. Great job. We've got our risk assessment. We've got our incident reporting. But now it's starting to get like, as Tim Marsh said, it's starting to get d- diminishing returns. Yes. Is that our, our risk assessments, our systems that we just think, let's just do that harder, right? Mm-hmm. Is the thing that's creating the fatalities or creating right. the serious incidents. Right. Because so I always say, for example, um, I say, let's say you are, PPE is a great example, right? We're mad for it over here, like yeah, mad for it. it. Yeah. So <laughs> <We> love it. <laughs> high vis is, is like the bane of my life, right? So let's say you can go and watch Grand Designs. Yeah. You can go watch Grand Designs, which is a, uh, like, I don't know if you have it in America, but it's like a UK based TV show. Yeah. I love it. People make big houses that are just crazy, right? Every single, because it's a BBC or Channel 4, I don't know what channel it is. It, you could be on a closed construction site. There's no vehicles. There's nothing moving. Like, it, just just blokes walking around. Everyone's wearing a high-vis. Why? Mm-hmm. Why are you wearing a high-vis? And it's like, but well, because, you know, it's good to wear it. No, it's not good to wear it. Well, yeah. and the argument they get back to me is like, well, surely you just have it anyway to be more safe. And I no, because what I think you're doing here is is you're forcing people to wear a high vis. You're devaluing high vis. I actually did a LinkedIn post about this, talking about hate, and I got I got, that's the most hate I've ever got, yeah. right? Yeah. And I said you're devaluing PPE by wearing it when you don't need to wear it, because what happens is, oh God, I've got to wear a fucking high vis. That's what the shop floor people are thinking, yeah. right? Oh, I've got to wear a hard hat when when there's nothing above their head. That, you know, right. I've seen people working on a roof. And they're wearing a hard hat. What? What are you going to get? What is it protecting you for bird shit or, or airplane? Here all the time. I can't. I can't oh think my, of a single it drives organization. Me right. And it, but what it, it does dri- is, it drives me nuts too because people don't think about the added risk that a lot of that stuff adds on top of that. On top of kind of your point, true, right? True. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. We're putting people out. I'm in Phoenix, right? We're putting people out. I see these people out working on the side of the road. Right. That work for mm. work for the state, working on the roads, and they're wearing these dark colored hard hats in 120 degree heat in the middle mm-hmm. of the day. And if you've ever Nothing worn a hard hat, I think, I think a lot of the folks that, that drive these rules have never worn a hard hat in the heat. And I don't understand. <laughs> it's like having an oven on your head. Right. And I think it's, sure. it's, it's just, it's one example, but yeah, it's, it's insane. Right. But, but what it does is it, it does is, is it, I think it, the, the worst impact of that is, is goes beyond because what it does is it solidifies that perception of health and safety gone mad in their head. Absolutely. Right. And they think that they attach that. I, I'm wearing a hard hat or a high vis when I don't need to wear it. That becomes what people will call like a heuristic in your brain, like an anchor in your brain, right? Health safety gone mad. So two weeks later, they're working on a roof and they're told wear a, high, a harness and attach that harness to an anchorage point, right? They've got no edge protection. This is serious now. You've fallen off a building. You're probably dead right? This is where you should be wearing that PPE. This is where it's really vital that you wear it. But because you've anchored in their brain, the health facility has gone mad. They don't listen. 
And now, don't get me wrong, it's not as simple as that. There's so much more. There's the pressures. It's everything. I get that. But people failing to acknowledge, I think, these people that argue with me. So I, I put that in a post. I basically said, I think some guy was made an advert for his cleaning business and he was outside showing this cleaning fit and he was wearing a high vis. I'm like, why are you wearing a high vis? No, he wasn't outside. He was inside. That was it. He was inside. (laughs) Why are you wearing a high vis? And so I've shared this post and I said, you're devaluing PPE and I got absolutely slaughtered and everyone was saying, you should just be more safe. And when I said that point, nobody got it. People were just like, you're just making that up. There's no evidence to say that. But I don't care if there's evidence to say it. Go on Facebook. Go and read the comments of construction workers' pages. Go read the comments of brickies, of plumbers. Mm -hmm. In in, in England, it's like 85% of the the industry is like small and medium-sized businesses or sole traders or something crazy like that, right? So so actually, 85% are not even in a business where we've got safety professionals, right. right? They don't have all this kind of corporate rubbish. They're on the shop floor just doing the do, right? They don't they don't fall into statistics. They don't have incident reporting systems. So yeah. all of your stuff is only fo- focusing on like 20-something percent of right. the industry. Right. Get your ass on Facebook and just write in there, what do you think of health and safety? You'll find out the truth, mate. And well, that's think- the problem. I think you're 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 really getting into what's really important there, especially around that stuff. Is that we just water stuff down, right? To your point on PPE mm. in particular, when we're just making, we're just throwing it all out there and saying, "Well, if one bit is good for you, all of it must be better." And it's back to that kind of point of just trying to do things harder. We think that that makes things better, but it just mm. doesn't. It just seems to water things out. I love your I love you kind of drawing the the line between the hard hats or the high vis, excuse me, the high vis and the, the, the fall protection, the fall arrest protection, because then you're, you're, it's, you're exactly right. You know, you have to think about the grander kind of damage that you're doing. I don't, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but the grander kind of damage that you're doing to your organizational culture, when folks at, at the pointy end, at the sharp end of your organization that are actually doing stuff are looking up going, God, you all are stupid. <laughs> right? We have to, we have to really think about that. It has to make sense. And I think it's just a really good example of the way that we don't listen to those that actually do the work. It's kind of back to some of, some of those mechanisms of operational learning and, and human and organizational performance. I kind of going out and learning from those that actually do. And it's, it's kind of like that, that stick picture that Conklin shares all the time. You know, that mm. those at the pointy end have the least amount of influence over the system, but they have the, have the greatest uh, opportunity for, for injury, the greatest opportunity for death. Mm right? But those farther on the blunt end have the most influence over the greater system. And I think you see that manifest in PPE is a great example of how that manifests as kind of the, 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 the real normative approach to that, at least, is that you know, if hard hat's good, let's just put them in everything. Because from yeah. their perspective, that looks great. Uh, so much of that conversation I have with folks that, that uh, I, I say, I hate to say it like this, but I, I love to say it like this, from those that <laughs> don't do real work, right? Myself included, right? Those that don't do real work. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't, this isn't real work. I don't do real work. I'm a safety person. <laughs> mm-hmm. is, is, is starting to understand that we have to, to really put ourselves in the position or at least be aware of our positioning in the grand scheme of things that we don't understand. No matter, even if we've done their task before in a past life, we don't understand what that person goes through on a daily basis. We don't understand what that bricklayer goes through every single day. And from us looking at that, we can go, oh yeah, high vis would make sense because why not? 
you know, uh, uh, wearing a hard hat when it's just clear blue sky above them. Well, why not? Right. It's just an extra hard hat. You know, it's just something else to wear. Uh, why, why wouldn't they wear this? Why shouldn't we put them in this? Why, why shouldn't we add another piece of paper? Why, you know, I think so much of that is understanding that we need to go to that person and say, what do you need? That's such a difference, right, from yeah. where we've where we've historically been. For so long, we've kind of went down this path of, of planners of work, smart, worker, dumb, right? Managers mm-hmm. and leaders of work, smart, worker, dumb. And that's totally, sometimes it's the opposite. Right? <laughs> the the person that's, that's doing the work holds the answers. That, that's one of my favorite um, pieces that I love to pull from human and organizational performance that I love to pull from safety differently is that if you want to know how to do work, if you want to know what that person needs to do work, uh, not only safely, but, but productively, you probably should ask them because they'll tell you once they tell you it's, it's on you, it's on the organization to make, you know, to, to, to provide that or come up with that. But if you want to know how to do that, you got to ask them. And I think seeing, um, this long rant is going somewhere. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing the way that, seeing the way that, that PPE manifests in the workplace, just as as one example, really is, is symptomatic of the fact that we don't go and ask folks what they need. We don't go listen to the people that actually do work. We're just overly pres- prescriptive and making assumptions. And I say we just as industry, as, as, the, as regulators, as total organizations, we believe we know what's best for the worker when really the worker knows what's best for the worker. Yeah, I know. I think, do you know what? I always use this example as well, but like for, for, for like when people talk about you know, le- le- what is like lead- leadership and stuff like that. Cause you know, a lot of the stuff we're talking about here is just good leadership. Exactly. And, and I was like, it's in the same in the, in the keynote I, I did the other, a few couple of weeks ago. Um, and I kind of summarized it on LinkedIn saying like, we talked about, uh, so the couple of things I talk about is, is the 12th man, which is uh, from World War Z. Um, so it's basically having somebody as designated role to play uh, devil's advocate, essentially. Um, but but I I always give an example of pirates, and I had a couple of people message me like, "How do you put pirates into health and safety?" And I say, "Well, because the one thing that pirates so in, I think it was like I'll get I'll probably get the, the years wrong, but it was like the 1600s to the 1700s, right? One of the biggest problems with piracy wasn't piracy itself. It was the attractive nature of piracy. And everyone thinks Mm -hmm. that it's because of the gold and stuff like that. I don't think it was because of the gold. One of the biggest things that were attracting people was the control that the crew had. What, what do we call that nowadays? Employee engagement, Right. right? The crew a lot of the time held the captain like to to account and 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 the captain had to make this or couldn't make a decision for for a better example because the, the crew didn't want to do it i think if you wanted a real simple version of how to how to watch how to see that in action you go and watch uh, black flags the the series on yeah, on amazon yeah, yeah. i think it is mm-hmm. right and you actually see this stuff happen now they 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 obviously they've dramatized it but it's because the crews actually had that power. So it is don't, you don't want to take it too far. Obviously it'd be like, like all oh, the people controlling the business and it becomes like a bloody, I don't know, like some kind of crazy socialist thing. I'm not yeah. even sure if that is socialist. I'm not a politician. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, is like, is, is how attractive that was. 
right. and, and as a good leader, it's facilitating that and saying, hey, guys, what do you think? You can, as a leader, turn around and say, okay, thanks for your opinion, but I'm going to do this anyway. That's fine. Right? As long as you justify it. And then the, the key thing you need to do afterwards is if or when you're wrong, is come back and say, hey, guys, you know, I asked your opinion on that thing and you said do this. And I said, no, I'm going to do that. Turns out I was wrong. Admit it. Say I was I was wrong. And next time, you know, I might listen to you a little bit more. That's good well, leadership. I, I, I love did it. Why don't we do it? I love that. So that's just FYI, that's totally going to be the name of this episode is going to be pirates and safety. So just, (laughs) (laughs) or safety pirates. That's totally, that's totally going to be the name of this episode. But I think it's that, I think you're, yeah, you're really, you're really kind of getting down into something. And I think it's this, it's what the, the HRO crowd kind of talked about way back when the high reliability folks kind of talked about is this, we should, we should really defer to expertise right? It's, it's getting to the folks that understand. And in that specific example, um, those folks on that crew, that's the expertise in organizations. We forget that, that we hire people because they're good at what they do, right? We hire people because they know things, right? We hire people because they're good at solving problems because they're innovative because we, they, they adapt. I know that's a scary word for safety people, adaptability, but (laughs) because they adapt and they get creative, the C words, even scarier creativity is even scarier when it comes to safety people, (laughs) but they get adaptive and they get creative and they figure their way around or through risk, right? They figure that stuff out. They become risk adaptive and they're problem solvers. Um, All those things that we hire them for, um, we go out and most organizations spend a lot of time and effort to find the best of the best people at what, no matter what it is that they do, right? They, they really spend a lot of time and money to find the best of the best. And then we get them to our organization and we say, forget all of that. Just follow these, these 1000 rules that I've made for you and everything will be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's we quite create the stupidity, right? That's quite the opposite of deferring to the experts. Right. So mm-hmm. I think I love that example because it's really, you know, you're thinking to yourself as, as, as the, the captain of that pirate ship, right. If it, if it were just me, if, if everything were just up to me, why the hell would I have the remainder of the crew? Right. Yeah. If, if, if everything's just going to come from, it's, it's back to challenging that mindset, whether it's, it's within our own profession or as, as kind of the organization, that there's not some great knower that can sit around and write this prescriptive thing to tell these, this group of experts, because that's what they are uh, on how to best do what they do. It's, it's still getting back to those people. It's, it's taking a more, um, really, it's, it's just that it's, it's what the HRO folks said many, many, many moons ago is deferring to expertise. It's, it's going out and mm. finding those experts and listening to those folks. Uh, I totally agree. It's, it's not like, you know, you should just totally have to, right. You shouldn't just, you know, you, you don't want mutiny on, on your pirate ship. Right. <laughs> but you should, uh, you should totally go out and ask that. And in the whole grand scheme of things, I don't so you're probably preventing the mutiny to continue on on the pirate ship example. If you're going out you and asking and listening, right? Even even if you're not taking all of the advice, because people are going to tell you some stuff and you're going to go, oh, shit, that's dumb. <laughs> right? That's okay to say that in your head. I'm not saying that it's not, right? But similar, they'll, they'll give you some amazing stuff that you can learn from, you can, you can take, and you can make things better. And in, in the grand scheme of things, again, back to preventing some of that mutiny, you seem to be growing your organizational culture in a positive direction as well, because you're creating that environment that we, we hit on just a bit ago of psychological safety. 
there's two bits and pieces that I always share with people because I'm sure you get it too. People message me all the time. They're like, what tips do you have on how to make things better at work right now? I'm like, I wish it were that easy because then I could just, you know, 1995 it and sell it on an infomercial on television and everything. Yeah, that's it. Boom. Done. But it's, it's, it's part of it is that everyone's watching you. That's the one phrase that I always share with people. Everyone's watching you always. It's really super creepy, but everyone's always watching you, especially if you're a leader. They're always assessing to see, right? Do they ask for opinions? Do they listen to opinions? Do they react poorly when I tell them not so great stuff? Do they uh, take action? Do they not take action? Everyone's always watching and are constantly assessing to see what they can and can't tell Mm. you. Uh, And then the way that you respond to things or not respond to things, uh, the way that you communicate, the words that you use, all these different things, it either helps or it hurts. There's no, there's no in between, right? There's always, it's either getting better or worse. You're either creating trust or you're taking away trust. There's, there's no in between. Mm. Right. So I think all of that stuff goes into that. Right. It goes into that kind of grand scheme of things, going out, deferring to expertise, asking people at the sharp end, what do you need? How can you do that? How can we do this better? How can we better support you? Whatever those questions look like, my favorite that I like to is show me where your job sucks and let's start Mm -hmm. there. Let's start making things better there. Um, But all of that stuff that we were just talking about, as we said, is just really good leadership. It has nothing to do with safety and health. It has nothing to do really with hop. It's just for me, it's going out and being a decent leader and being a decent person, right? Mm -hmm. And deferring to those that actually know how to do stuff. That's something that, that uh, we teach that we've been teaching for a long time and many different skills like project management as an example, right? You don't have to know everything, but you need to hire the people that do, right? You need to, you need to hire folks that know how to do things and you need to rely on them. And I think it's that we have to start trusting giving trust back to the folks that do we've taken it away. Um, I had Sidney Decker on not that long ago and I loved what he kind of wrapped up with um, for kind of a challenge to safety folks or just industries in general is that we automatically start from this place of mistrust and we say, I don't trust you. So why would I listen to you? If I don't trust you, why would I come ask your opinion? If I don't trust you, we have to start trusting people again. We have to start trusting our fellow humans and say, you're a bricklayer. You probably know how to lay bricks way better than I do because I've never laid one in my life. So why the hell should I be trying to tell you how to lay bricks? You should be telling exactly. me, right? Mm-hmm. So it's back. It's still circling back to that of, of, of promoting that, that, that expertise, getting to that expertise. But it's, it's everywhere. Is it like you see it? You see it now. Like you are going to go and spend two minutes on LinkedIn to see yeah. the 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 myriad of of consultants being like, right? We've written a coronavirus back to work risk assessment. Yeah. You can come to me. I'll pay you pay me ten pounds, and you can have the risk assessment. Yeah. How how can you write a risk assessment about my workplace from from your office? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. How how is that even possible? Exactly. We we do it all the time. All of yeah. that stuff that, that that we've spoken about. You know, oh, we want to hire someone who's innovative. Okay, get them in day two. This innovative guy's just started trying to be innovative, and we go, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Mm-hmm. you need to you need to work in line with the procedure please it's, it, we, we create <laughs> yeah. stupidity and and i think i think we actually start from a, in the uk anyway like you were saying what sydney said i listened to them we start from a position of mistrust i think we start from a position especially in the uk in this compliance-based culture we start from a position of assuming it's going to go wrong we're from a position where people in in, in the uk they go um Okay, how do we prove that we've done what we're supposed to do when we go to court? Well, you're assuming you're going to go to court. Why don't you, why don't you operate on the fact that you don't 
you, you, you want to create an environment where you don't end up going to court. Instead of sitting there thinking, well, we need to evidence this in case we go to court. So say, for example, dynamic risk assessments is quite a big thing that people struggle to get their heads around. A dynamic risk assessment. What is that, James? My opinion, a dynamic risk assessment is something right on the spot conversation where we go, here's the problem. What are we going to do? We solve the problem and we mitigate what we can. That's it. Let's go. Well, how do you record that? Well, why do you need to record it? I'm not saying let's not record it. But what I'm saying is you should be asking the question, well, do we need to record that? Not how do we record it? You feel like there's so much paperwork we have out there that delivers no value whatsoever. All these risk assessments, they deliver no value. They're not actually risk assessing. It's just there because we perceive that that's going to help us when we get to there's just no value. We, we start from a position where we think, oh, we're going to be in court. What a horrible place to start. I mentioned we had some audio difficulties, and that's exactly what happened. Something happened with my mic. I just dropped off the Zoom call. It was like a thing. It was awful. It happens every time we try to talk, and it's supposed to be awesome, this happens. But we fixed it. We moved on. Here we go. I could see you passionately talking about something. I could hear none of it. So hopefully it recorded. Oh, we'll no. Get, we'll get I felt a bit awkward. I was like, do I keep going? I can tell he's not listening. What's going on? Yeah, I don't I don't know. So for for those of you out there that Basically, listen to this, we'll always say back. I'm not, I'm not going to do the whole rant again because we'll be here forever. But basically, yeah, sure I'm just saying. That in the UK and our compliance-based culture, we, we we start from a position of of assuming it's going to go wrong. We we mm-hmm. we say, right, okay, we're going to do that. How do we record it? How do we prove it? Like that's always our starting basis. It's not like, yeah. well, let's just let's just try and do what we need to do. Like how how exhausting to work yeah. in an environment where you just like, right, okay, that's what we're doing. How do how do we prove that we've done that? we we just do it good and then we don't have to prove that we've done it because there's a good job there that proves that we've done it good yeah well i right. think it's it's you you guys probably have the same struggle that we have because we're very similar right um i would assume uh in your compliance culture you probably your your regulator probably has a pretty heavy presence and they're they probably do some pretty heavy-handed enforcement i would assume um i would I could only speak from my from my kind of experience, but I would say no. Really? I, I would say a lot of it is is perceived wow. um, yeah. need for need for for protection and compliance. It, yeah. I, and and it's interesting. The HSE did a did a whole report on it, um, understanding like where where this has all come from, and it it wasn't really overly clear to say where one place, whether it was a regulator, whether it was insurers, um, but but a it, it seems to be that all of say insurers and uh, clients as well. So say in a construction game, your client might say, well, I need all your RAMs. I need all your risk yeah. assessments, your method statement. And it's, and I'm just like, That's what true. value does that say? I mean, I, I did a keynote um, a while, a while ago. Actually it was one of the first, the first keynote we did at rebrand safety. And, and, and I said in there, like, I'm not saying I'm not advocating for no paperwork. I'm not advocating for no paperwork. I'm not naive. We need to be able to evidence what we're doing. I get that. All right. What I'm advocating for is we only have paperwork that delivers value. Right. Is 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 like 
So I, I use the example of, say, forklift trucks, right? So over here, in the, we have obviously over here we have forklift trucks. Obviously, you have forklift <laughs> trucks in America. What am we I don't. about? No, 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 we don't. <laughs> we just use brute strength to move. In. <laughs> <laughs> Watch that. Oh, sorry, um, no, you're good. like you're good. talking about you like you're some third world country or something. Well, almost. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um so so anyway we have forklifts you just remember where we came from time. buddy you just you just remember where, <laughs> yeah. you remember our parent our parent land <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus so right when we drive with forklifts it's it's a, we have like these forklift check sheets right and this is the example i gave in the keynotes you have forklift checklists and you do the checks of the forklift to see it works. And then you evidence that by having loads and loads of checklists that say, yes, yeah, so we're always checking our forklifts. So then stuff goes, it's like, but does that really deliver value? And the question was to the audience, most of the audience said, yeah, because it proves we're checking a forklift. Okay. But do you not have like a planned preventative maintenance scheme of your, of your forklift anyway? So surely right. that's it. So why don't you just ma- manage and monitor your maintenance scheme of that forklift? Yes. Yeah. That's it. And that's it. Exactly. And oh, well, but what? But what if I jump on a forklift and it doesn't work? Well, then you ring the maintenance team and you say, yeah. "Hey, my forklift's not working." And then the maintenance team say, "James rang me. Forklift isn't working." And they put that in their maintenance diary or whatever. Boom, done. There's there's your evidence. They're they're but on their it, way to pick like, up the forklift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's your evidence. And then and then you give it back to the to the operational team and it's working. There's your evidence, but we're assuming we, we, we're assuming that the forklift's going to go wrong and nothing is going to do it. So I, I suppose, in a way, this does come back to exactly what Sydney's saying. It's, it, I think, it does come down to mistrust of the operator mm-hmm. because we're forcing them to write on a checklist. So therefore, we think that will force them to do the, the do, to do the check, right? Yeah. But the person that's saying, "Hey, do that check," do they do the check on a car before they get in it? Probably mm-hmm. not. So it's hypocritical to start off with. But a lady at the end of the keynote, she was like, she she said, well, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, James, but um, I work in construction and all of my clients, they want this paperwork and I can't get the job unless I give them this paperwork. And I said, I, I agree. I agree. And she said, well, what can you do? And in my opinion, it's understanding and having faith in your system and being confident in your system and saying, well, you know, when they go, where's your forklift truck checklist? We say, we don't do that, but this is what we do do. This is what we do do. So, and and having that confidence to be able to communicate that is when, you know, we have it with with the fire service, you know, and they're, they're the enforcer for fire safety in the UK and they come along and they say, where's, where's your, where's your paperwork for this? Where's your paperwork for that? And it's like, Oh, people jump to it and say, "Oh, we've got to have it. We've got to have it." No, yeah. no, you haven't. You've, you've got to have something that proves that you do something. You don't have right. to have everything to prove that you do something. It's like Jesus Christ, there's paper everywhere. Well, and that's that's exactly it. And it ends up in a situation where we have tons of paper that's meaningless. Right? Yeah, I, I, I love the uh, the example of the, of, the, of the yeah exactly clutter. It's it's the example of the the fork truck checklist because we do that too. We, 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 most organizations require uh, here that you do that. Every operator before they operate a fork truck has to do that, mm-hmm. that checklist. And then they keep it with them in case someone demands to see it. Right. They don't and, do that. That's do do exactly what I was going to say. To me, it's this, we're still people, right? You create, you take something that's very inefficient and also viewed as stupid, right? What do we as people do with inefficient stupidity? 
we just work around it, right? We figure mm-hmm. out and we figure out an efficient way to to de- we declutter for ourselves, right? We kind of find ourselves in our own decluttering space. If the organization won't do it for us, we as the individual user will, right? We we pretend like these like workarounds are terrible things, but really it's just people trying to seek efficiency for the company's sake, really most often, right? They're 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 doing these things for us as an organization. Mm. Um, when we throw that that checklist on them, and they go. I just used a forklift yesterday right? yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm looking at it, like, there's nothing pouring out of it. I parked it here. No one's moved it. Um, and then we do you know, like a bunch of checks and then stick it in, into the, into the little cubby hole thing that holds operators manual, you know, cause mm-hmm. that's a compliance demand too, that we have to have the, the manual on it at all times as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So we <laughs> shove it in there with that. So we've got this massive plastic box. That's just the compliance paperwork box on these pieces of equipment <laughs> and then it's in there. But the whole point is, is that it's really not doing anything as an organization. It might make us feel good and say, we've got hundreds of these, pa- these pieces of paper that show mm. that we're mm. checking these every single time. Um, and really and what, what, it, it, what it comes down to is more of a CYA against, against litigation, against yeah. different things where we're going, Oh no, 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 no. We've, we've got all this stuff. Look at all this legal paperwork that we have. And it has nothing to do with assisting the end user or protecting the end user. We pretend that it does. It has better optics to say that we're doing it for the employee's good. But that type of paperwork, we're really not doing it for the employee's best interest. We're really doing it to try to protect the organization. Um, um, And ironically, what I think it does as well is it takes what might be a 15-second check of a forklift truck of the actual checks, like I'm talking about actually pumping the brakes and doing the indicators. That probably takes about 30 seconds tops, right? But by adding the paperwork, you've now added another two minutes to write it, put your name on it, put the bloody, the paddle thing back on the truck and go take your form over to the office. It's like you've just taken a 15 to 30 second job and created it a two minute job, right? Now, what does the person do is they create, they, they create a solution for that problem. So they just don't do it, but actually would it not be better if we just got them doing the check and stop recording it, Right. but they're doing the check. Oh, but then how would you know that it's being done? Well, if you're a leader and you need to know, go jump on the bloody the forklift and do the check yourself. Yeah. And if it works, you must have done the check. Thank you very much. And if it doesn't work, they didn't do the check. And then we look at the context of why they didn't do the check and we go from there, whatever. Well, and it's, you know, so much. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's back to, to me, it's back to making the system better. Right. And I think that's what, that's where you were going when you were driving down this preventative maintenance path, making it easier to be safe than it is to be unsafe. We're, yeah. we're, we're building the system in which it's highly unlikely that the fork truck is going to have problems because we're not just relying on the end user to check it. And that's, that's the easy answer. And that's why we go down that path. I, I know we're ranting yeah. on fork trucks, but it's, it's, it's all the same. You insert X, Y, Z here, right? It's all yeah, the same. Yeah, exactly. Is that at the end of the day, what we're really doing is we're, we're, we're pumping out a bunch of CYA paperwork to, you know, mm-hmm. to protect, to protect the organization. And we're, we're pushing that down to the end user and basically saying, no, you're responsible if anything goes wrong with this fork truck, because you are supposed to check it before anything happens. Yeah. Instead but of the deeper is, into that system. Right. 
Yeah, and the irony is, is like it's it's never going to be the forklift driver that, right. that that receives the criminal the criminal right. conviction, right. like right. ever. That's right. just like the irony of all this stuff is like I, I sit in meetings and they're like, right, we've got loads of risk assessments, and I'm like, yeah, you've got loads of risk assessment, but they deliver no value. So actually, the irony is that that risk assessment is going to be the one thing that actually sends you to jail, right. not keeps you out of it. Like, well, I, I, are you that I, I, stupid? We actually had this conversation with some folks the other day that were that were on the podcast, and it was that is that as they're going down this decluttering path, uh, in certain parts of the world, um, they're starting to even from the legal perspective, their legal departments because that's usually a challenge for us as we start to try to declutter. I'm sure it is over there as well. If we start to mm-hmm. declutter, our legal departments start going, "No, you can't do that. There's, you're getting rid of a very important legal." paperwork and i've even heard a lot of safety folks refer to this stuff as legal paperwork i'm going you're totally missing the point here but uh, <laughs> that, that should tell you all you need to know about the paperwork that you're using but what they're starting to discover is that it's kind of helps them still because they're like okay less paperwork and i hate to even say it like this but there's less evidence of anything got to your point on the risk assessment mm-hmm. even if you want to go down that legal path you're you're kind of you're kind of hanging yourself when you're pump, pumping out all this terrible stuff, right? It, so, it's the noose around your neck, mate. Right. Like that's the irony of all this stuff. It's it's waking up and realizing. But so in, to kind of bring that back to where we were at, you we we get we go down this path of thinking that paperwork keeps us safe, that paperwork protects our organization, and it really doesn't, right? It really yeah. doesn't do a lot. I, I really liked where you were going with that, kind of driving back into what your predictive maintenance schedule look like. What does this look like? What does X, Y, Z look like around this process? How do we make it really hard for bad things to happen? Uh, instead of what we often do is we, we, we rely on the end user to be 100% right 100% of the time to prevent bad things from happening. And that's mm-hmm. a really bad place to be in, whether it's with a fork truck or anything else. Yeah, I see it, mate. I see it all the time. I mean, it's, I'm glad that it's not just the UK, but like you, you get people like fire risk assessments are a great example. Like I've worked in fire heavily for the last like four years mm-hmm. and we, we do a risk assessment every year. And I always say, why are we doing it every year? Well, because that's the law. No, it's not. The law says you review it if it's no longer valid. So if there's any significant change, well, it right. doesn't doesn't say every year. It just says review it. So why don't you set up a, a solid management of change system within your business, mm-hmm. which is actually the thing that we need is to right. manage change because it highlights that we need to review our risk assessment mm-hmm. and stop doing these pointless, these absolutely pointless reviews every year, or even worse, paying a consultant every year, 600 pounds to come out and do a fire risk assessment. And it's just the same thing. And then the other thing you do is you're not doing any of the actions that that consultant says that you need to do be them right or wrong, doesn't matter. So actually now you've got a piece of paper that says you're not doing very good at managing fire safety. And yeah. and the irony is we all sit there and we go, yes, we're, we're compliant. We're 99.9% <laughs> compliant. And then you're like, no, you're not. You're, you're like, because you've got that, you'd have been better off not having that risk assessment because now the problems are known. They are foreseeable. There was a professional specialist consultant coming exactly. to the business and said, you're doing really bad at this. Mm-hmm. And you've, you're sitting there going, we're compliant. You've got all your bloody watermelon <laughs> charts saying you're, you're really good. Yeah. You're not dealing with the actions. You're not dealing with management of change, like real management of change. And you're still just paying £600 every bloody year doing this risk assessment. And yeah. the, the lawyer is going to be like, well, thank you very much. Gold dust. 
Like yeah. they, they're subpoena and they know yeah. the safety professional is going to send over all of their dusty documents and they're just going to be like, well, thank you very much. You're yeah, we screwed. Appreciate that. Yeah, we appreciate that. Well, that's what I was going to say too, is so much of this kind of compliance culture. I, 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 pick, on, um, I pick on OSHA here a little bit. But it's not even mm-hmm. OSHA. I mean, I, what I've found, at least in a lot of the, because we, we have kind of the overarching regulator here, which is OSHA, and then we have certain states that have state-run plans. So like Arizona, okay. where I'm at, we, we have ADOSH, which is the Arizona Department of Safety and Health. So they have their own kind of state mm-hmm. plan um, that, that, that they do their own thing. But what I've found so often with the regulators, at least in kind of the past several years, because I've interfaced with them on several occasions and just seeing them talking to them. It's a, it's a, you know, we don't have tons and tons of folks. So like in the entire, I would hate to know how small ADOSH actually is in the state of Arizona. They have a handful (laughs) of people that work for them basically. (laughs) Um, But having those conversations with some of those folks are like, listen, we just want better too. Like we, we, you know, we, we just want things to be better too. We want you to grow an environment. We, we have these voluntary protection programs and all these other things that we can kind of do, but it's a lot of where they go is in and around the realm of honesty and trust and good training and good stuff, you know, and, and it's not necessarily this compliance thing. So much of where I think some of the compliance comes from us stateside is the insurance companies. Insurance companies drive so much of the way that we comply with things. They drive so much of those things. And, and this is kind of going to be where my question goes next was it how much do you think that this compliance culture has been inflicted on industry by the safety profession itself with either folks not understanding the regulations and over prescribing things um, kind of as we were touching on, or uh, maybe I'll call them shady, snaky. I don't know. Not so great consultants going, no, you must have that fire plan every single year. Right. And, and you're going to pay me handsomely for it. How much of that do you think has been self-inflicted or, or been inflicted on industry by, by safety practitioners themselves? Before I say my answer, I'll just say all hate mail can be sent to rebranded safety at gmail.com. Um, but my answer to that is I would I would say and no evidence backs this up other than my experience, but one hundred percent. I I'm I would say that probably I, I've said time and time again, we need to acknowledge that we are the problem. So mm. as much as it pains me to say we just have Brexit in the UK, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the big drivers outside of like foreigners and all that rubbish. But that aside, one of the other main drivers were reduction of red tape. All right. And everyone's saying the EU throw loads of red tape at us. And they, they, I can't work because of health and safety stuff. And I'm just like, what are you on about? It doesn't exist. Like yeah. there, there are some industries, don't get me wrong. When you get into major hazards, when you get into coma, when you get into things like that, and there are some guidance where are quite prescriptive, even noise at work, you know, that's yeah. quite prescriptive. Yeah. It, it gives you a literal number. Don't breach this number. I get that. Right. right? Yeah. 99% of it is, is, is gray as mate. It is. Right. Be- I call it beautifully vague. Yes. Right. The problem is consultants. The problem. Oh, I don't, I, I, I'm going to get absolutely <laughs> like destroyed after this, but the problem is not consultants. There are good consultants out there. I know I say it's bad consultants. It's those ones that are sending out right now. They're sending out COVID packs and COVID risk assessments right. and saying, have this and you'll be safe. Like, well, hang on a minute. So when this, this, this letter of paperwork comes through my door, I'm all of a sudden safe. It doesn't make right, sense. Right. Like, right. But, 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 and, 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 and the other problem is the people, they lap it up and they don't, they don't question it. They just say, you get businesses are like, yeah, that makes me compliant. God, health and safety, crazy, isn't it? All we need is this paperwork and, and we're compliant. We're safe. Like, 
don't stop being stupid and and demand better. If the people demand better, the consultants will be forced. They will be forced to improve. Uh, and that's yeah. Your your opinion is, is is spot on with mine. I mean, it's it's. I think a lot of it is inflected inflicted by our profession. Uh, we go in and because we we I see the same thing here. I see the same thing here regularly, where many many of our standards um, that are applied from OSHA or from our state run programs are very performance based. They're very mm. look. We just want you to get this. We we want you to have a plan for this. We want you to be able to handle this. And and here's some certain prescriptions that we will make law that we think are important. But the vast yeah. majority of it, majority of it, is still very performance based. We don't really care how you get there. That's for yeah. you to figure out. You can figure that plan out for your own business. You can figure out if you need paperwork. If you don't. If you want this. If you want that. That's all up to mm-hmm. you. We just want you to to get to a better place, or we want you to achieve this outcome. And again, that it's performance based. It's what whatever you can come up with within a certain parameters is is up to you, right? But exactly. so many times, so many times, uh, you have a consultant that comes and goes. Well, yes, but then the only way, the only way that you can prove that is by having your end user on your fork trucks do sheets every time that they go to use it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I think another part of it is 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 accreditation. So, you know, I've I don't hold. I don't pull my punches with accreditations. I think the amount of uh, ISO systems and stuff like that, that I've, yeah. I've been in, I've been in several companies where I manage those systems and I just sit there and all the auditor wants, now don't get me wrong. It probably does vary on auditors, but you know, my eight years, I, I must've just had all the bad auditors, but it, it, all they want is paperwork. All they want is paperwork. And I'm just like, this doesn't, this doesn't prove I'm safe. I'm sitting here knowing, knowing that we are not very safe as a business, that, that we could be so much better, but we're getting gold awards and gold audits. Right. Same. To be honest, even, even Rosper, we've got, and, and, and I don't think I've actually said this out loud, but you know, Rosper, they, they do an award every year. So over in the UK, you've got uh, the Royal Society of Injury Prevention, I think it is, Rosper. Mm. Something like that. And, and they issue out awards left, right, and center. You've, you've said, well done, Sam. You just won a gold award on safety. How do, you, how do you get that award on safety? You send them loads of paperwork. Right. That's it. Yeah. They don't come to your site once. This is the Royal Society of Injury Prevention. This yeah. is a, a Royal Society. Like I can't emphasize yeah. that enough. Royal Society. Right. I'm right. here as a body to stop people getting hurt. And all I'm doing is asking for paperwork. It's like, What? And they they have a massive event like every year in some crazy town or city where there's all like frigging dancers and shit, all yeah. the money being wasted on this. And everyone's like, yeah, I'm so good. I'm safe. I'm another gold award. And you're just like, actually what you are is shit. Yeah, you, you're very good at generating paperwork. Is yes, yeah, which I, I call know, I, shit. Exactly, exactly. And you know, it's it's not it's not that much different. I mean, for us, it, even within uh, industries, within larger organizations, they like these kind of like pat yourself on the back awards. Um, here, it's more based off of injury rates. So they're going to mm. say, "Oh, you you achieved the magic number of zero OSHA recordables for a certain <laughs> amount of time." And get some imagination, right? And so here's your beautiful resin award that we sculpted out of whatever you know. And it's got it's got your name on it, and it says that you've you've achieved this zero for a certain amount of time. Uh, and it really, it's I think it's doing the same thing that as you were mentioning with the paperwork, they both do. The, they both have kind of the same result. They drive the wrong behaviors. They they it's promote they promote organizations to 
uh, aggressively fix the wrong things. Right. They, they drive organizations to aggressively focus on the wrong things. So yeah. in, in the United States, we aggressively focus on trying to reduce our OSHA recordable rate. And that OSHA recordable rate means absolutely nothing to me. Right. Mm-hmm. I can be at work. I can bend over to pick up a pen that I dropped on the ground and I have a bit of a bad back. I can throw my back out. I can be taken to the nurse and receive, a, I'll say this, I'll, I can receive Tylenol at a prescription dose and that becomes an OSHA recordable. And now I'm an because OSHA recordable case, right? And that's going to be the indicator as to whether we're safe or not, yeah. right? <laughs> and then you can compare that to a, a very, a completely different injury. Employee goes down, just goes to do something with a razor knife and fillets their arm open and gets... 16 sutures, uh, OSHA recordable, same as me throwing out my back. That employee was returned to work, so it's not lost time or anything. So, because we managed the hell out of it and made him go back to work. So, and it, 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 the irony of it, it makes my job harder. Yeah. It makes my job harder because I'm going into a boardroom and I'm saying, hey, just FYI, you're not actually that good. And they're like, well, hang on a minute. We've got this accreditation, this accreditation, this accreditation, this Roswell Gold Award, this Gold Award, blah, 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 blah. We, and, and, and I'm just like, Oh crap! How can I argue with that? Yeah, like uh, trust me, you're not as good as what you think you are. Yeah, no. but we've got this accredited, and it's just like round in circles. It's, it creates a false sense of security. It's exactly. so ironic. You're just so focused on on that. And I, f- I forget it kind of goes along with uh, kind of goes along with your 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 watermelon comment. But I've heard this for a long time that mm-hmm. um, that you should fear the green, right? That you mm. should you should fear the green and you should embrace the red. Right. Yeah. Uh, because so, so many, so I used to always used to say, uh, all green unseen, which is right, so right. Yeah, exactly. For so long organizations just focus on this. Uh, we, we live in this weird world that we think, um, everything happens through measure that measure is so important and it's really mm. not that important, at least in our world, kind of, kind of mm. to get back to a little bit of the, I don't even want to say religious element of safety, but to get back to more of the <laughs> spiritual nature of safety is that you do it because it's the right thing to do. Not so you can get an award mm. or not so we can feel good about it or not so we can, uh, you know, have a beautiful green check sheet. Um, and, but and we don't focus get me wrong so as well. long on those things, right. That we focus on it. We've got to always yeah. be in the green. We've got to have a low incident rate. We've got to generate this amount of paperwork. We've got to have that, this, that, the other. And it just drives organizations. I'll pick on instant rates in particular because it's one that's near and dear to my heart. We drive, we focus on that so much that it just promotes companies. It drives wrong behaviors. It makes mm-hmm. companies go out and case manage the hell out of injuries. It makes companies go out and question doctors and try to get them to, to not give certain levels of treatment, right? It, oh, it really God. forces some pretty unethical behaviors in organizations to try to mm. manage that incident rate down. You'll have, or they'll, anything that is a metric will be managed, right? If you give someone a number and say, we want zero, it's kind of act that, that's those comments. People will give you zero. Companies mm. will manage to yeah. zero. They'll find a way to get there. It's just never going to be real, right? If, if you say, I'll give you a massive uh, contract, if you can have super low incident rates, they're going to find they will find a way to drive those instant rates down. So all these external organizations, uh, clients that hire contractors, you know, uh, the, the regulators, these outside, uh, outside professional organizations, all these people that, that derive and promote those incident rates in particular are just driving companies to do maybe not so great things and really lose focus mm. on what they should be focused on. Mm. 
and and we we as professionals we're also here to protect the business like don't don't like businesses sure, yeah. seem to think that all you know they're here from this like like james is all spiritual he all he cares about is is is, is not not killing people Whoa, what a horrible person he must be <laughs> right, <laughs> but but that's like we still also don't want to see the ceo go to jail like no. but it, it, it's 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 win-win it's if what well, we're talking about is managing the safety or, or even not managing safety it's being efficient with our risks that's what it is I, I think it's i think it's this too is that it's starting it's back to that comment of starting from a place of trust uh and don't get me wrong i, I always i always allow for the shithead factor uh, their shitheads do exist right they're out there they're in all walks of life they're in all professions so that disclaimer i'm not saying everyone i'm not saying that everyone is angels by any means but I have, I have a feeling, and at least from my interactions, that it's this, right? It's, it's back to the local rationale principle, right? It's that people show up to work to do a good job. It doesn't matter mm. whether they're a CEO or the bricklayer. They show up to work to do a good job. They don't want people to get hurt. They don't want people to go home maimed or missing body parts. They don't want people to die at work, right? They show up to do a good job. Um, those CEOs, those folks in the boardroom, they truly care about their people. I'm not saying that there's some that don't. There's some that for sure don't, right? But the vast majority of them, they do the things that they do because they believe that they're helping people. They believe that they're trying to, to make things better. Uh, so I, I, I want to state that and just say that I'm, I'm not beating them up. And it is about protecting the organization as well, because I, I really believe that most organizations have their people's best interests at heart. I really think that they yeah. do. I just think that they, they, it's kind of back to aggressively focusing on the wrong things. <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. I think that, that they don't, that, that a lot of this stuff feels good and it looks good. So therefore they think it must be good. And a lot Definitely. of times it's not, it's, it's getting them to that understanding that, you know what, maybe that's not so great. Maybe, maybe we should focus on, uh, on trusting people. Maybe we should focus on back to some of the points that we were driving towards creating psychological safety. Maybe we should increase reporting instead of trying to diminish it. Maybe we should. And I mean, the list kind of goes on and on and on, but I, I, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there that I'm, I'm right there with you um, as, as a professional, as, as being a safety professional for the majority of my life, um, you, we walk kind of this interesting line. I don't want to say it's in between. It's really bringing those two things sides together and understanding that we're all trying to achieve the same thing here. That if you kill, if you don't kill people at work, it's not only good for the people that work there, but it's good for the company. Right? If, if we create an environment in which innovation is possible and people can be truthful and, and people are happier at work, it's not only good for the people on the sharp end of the organization, but it's really good for the people on the blunt end of the organization as well. Definitely. For some reason, there's like this weird image problem between the frontline and the C-suite sometimes, right? Where it's, mm. it's you know, the, 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 a lot of times the CEOs are higher in the organization. You go, they look down and go, those, those terrible workers, how could they, right? And then you have these people on the, on the sharp end going, those terrible executives, how could they, right? And <laughs> they really just need to understand each other a little bit better, I think. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Sam, I am, uh, I can smell my dinner cooking. So well, I'm most definitely yeah. going to have to... We've been we we've been we must be at like two hours now. We are we're rocking and rolling. We had we had a little bit of an intro chat beforehand, and then we we yeah. dove in and had to. Uh, of, of course, we we can't do this without a few technical problems. So, I, I, no. you know, thanks on my end had to crap out. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy my end survived. For one, survived. For one Zoom does not podcast. like my not. my my rig for some reason. Zoom just doesn't no. like it. Well, man, I so I, but before before I let you go, I got to ask you this though. 
right? Yeah. So this is the famous question that we ask everyone, right? So any mm -hmm. last words, any, <laughs> any uh -huh. final words for the hot nerds out there or other safety folks, any, any tips that you would want to leave with them, any words of wisdom that you would want to leave with them, anything like that? Ooh, any last words you'd, you'd think that when somebody said any last words you'd be like yeah i know exactly what i'm gonna say <laughs> me i've just got like i've just got like seven books of words going through my head right. um I, I think for me that 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 ask ask yourself does this provide value and i know people get a bit a bit uppity about the word value and they're like, oh god that's just another buzzword it's a buzzword if you treat it like a buzzword that's up to you right. um but but you know all the stuff we've got out there it could it could go actually it could go to anything it could go to you, the comment you're going to leave on linkedin because i've said it, something in this podcast that peed you off or it could be the comment you're going to leave on linkedin on the safety one safety two argument it could be the risk assessment at work the new safety system you're going to implement tomorrow the new checklist whatever whatever it is for, for me, it just changed my life when I started asking that question, yeah. does this provide value to me or whoever I'm trying to provide a service to? That's it. And that, that's every, I live my life like that, mate. Yeah. Does it provide value? Love it. I think that's, 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 that's some really great wisdom to share with folks. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, does it add value? It is very important. Well, man, I, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. People are going to no, love this. I'll look at you. It's, so it's totally, well, that's what I'm going to say. We're, we're going to have to schedule another one. You realize that, right? We're going to, we're going to have yeah, to do, uh, do a, I like another it. round. I love it. I got to just have some more of it. And I mean that I, I'm just excited. I'm excited to, to have the opportunity in the future to do a podcast again with James. I'm sure that's going to happen either on this platform or on his, or maybe both who knows. It was awesome, right? Like I said on the last one, five stars out of five. It doesn't get much better than that. It was fun. It was entertaining. And it had lots of good info and some ranting. It had plenty of good ranting in there, too. That's a combination for success, at least for me. I like it. That's what I listen to. Well, that's all I've got. Again, I started with thank you. I'm going to end with thank you. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. Thank you so much for continuing to like, subscribe, follow along, all that kind of stuff. It means the world to me. It means the world to my family. It means the world to all of those that are involved with the Hop Nerd Podcast, the uh, over at Hop University, the book, all that kind of stuff. We're busting our tails, just trying to bring you value, and uh, we're having a blast doing it. So until next time, it's Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, signing off. <sighs> Bye, everybody. Bye.